0: And good morning, church. I am Etienne, and my word of welcome to you as well. If you're a visitor with us, um, you're becoming past of a, part of a fast-growing majority. And it's great to have visitors. Uh, we exist for people who are not here. <laughs> and that is God's designs, we believe, for our church is to, um, is to grow and to hold out the hope and beauty and purposes of God for our place, for our community, for our people. And that is a growing vision that we are grateful for. So, welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, my name is Etienne, or Et for short, and I will take us to the second last message of a series that we have called Joseph, um, based on the life of a man called Joseph in the Bible, in the Old Testament, early part of the Bible. Um, yeah, today is the second last message. So, here's a question for you. Who loves happy endings in movies? Hand up if you like happy endings in movies. There's only a few hands, so I assume the rest of you don't like happy endings in movies. You twisted souls. Actually, I like tragic endings as well. They're real. They um, yeah, maybe reflect the brokenness of life a bit better, but that's besides the point. <laughs> the point is the story of Joseph has a happy ending. <laughs> it has an enormously and an incredibly happy ending. And today is part one of two, leading us into the ending of the story of Joseph. We're going to have one more after this. The ending is happy, but it's not happy for the reasons you may think. In fact, we could already have said last week that this story has a happy ending. Last message we we did, we said, Joseph, this guy goes from being a, a a, a victim of human trafficking, so much injustice... Uh, wrongfully imprisoned, he goes from the pits and he goes to the pinnacle and he stands up and he says, you know what, my life has turned out good, my ending has turned out happy. God has made me forget all my troubles. God has given me a hope and a future here in the land of my suffering. It's well with me. My ending is happy, right? Not for God. God, I think, this is a bit... Heavy to say, I suppose, putting words in the mouth of God, but but certainly the story suggests to us that God looks at that ending and goes, that's not happy. This story has not ended happy yet, or well yet. It's now going to start moving towards ending well. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it today. I'm going to do a retelling for you. I'm a bit nervous about this of Genesis chapters 42, 43, and most of 44. So we're not going to read the Bible as a Bible reading as such because I thought I'd spare you the reading of three chapters. Um, I trialled it. I think it took about 20 minutes just to read them. (laughs) So so I'm going to retell them and summarise them for you, and then we'll read some portions of that that I think are very important. We'll directly read them on the Bible. So if you have a phone and you want to follow along, please do. If you have a Bible... Genesis chapter 42 to 44. Here's the short version. We'll start over here. We're in Egypt. Sorry, not in Egypt. We're in Canaan, where Jacob, he's the guy on the right-hand side of the picture up there, him and his family live, and there's a famine, right? People are going to die. It's pretty serious. Jacob says to his sons, go to Egypt where I have heard there is food. Here's some money, go and buy some food. He sends 10 of his sons, not all 11. He's not aware that Joseph's alive. None of them are, right? This is all unbeknown to them. 10 of them, his youngest, now youngest, Benjamin, the blood brother of Joseph by the same mum, is now the new favourite whom he unashamedly loves more than the rest. And he says to the other 10, I still don't trust you. This is still a very dysfunctional family, right? You 10, you go to Egypt and you go and buy grain. So they make the journey to Egypt. They walk all the way over here to Egypt where they meet a powerful man named Joseph in front of whom they bow down. It's a dream come true, right? God predicted this would happen. This is happening. Brothers are bowing down before Joseph. They don't recognise Joseph, but he recognises them after 20 years, I think 22 to be precise. Joseph recognises them and now it gets so strange, I'll get back to this later, he says to them, your spies come to suss out where Egypt is weak to attack us and steal the grain because you know we're the only ones who have food for this whole famine. He goes on the charge. He lets them have it. And, you know, he relentlessly questions them about their brother, about their father. And they divulge all this information quite openly and saying, no, we're part of 12 brothers. One is no more. Uh, The other one is at home with our father and we are 10. And Joseph just keeps hammering them. Eventually, he chucks them in jail. Leaves them there for three days. And the third day, he says to them, okay, here's the deal. I will sell you grain if you bring me your youngest brother, Benjamin, who is your father's favourite. In the meantime, he binds Simeon, one of these ten, up. He says, he will stay here in jail. There's this moving scene there in the jail where um, the brothers are speaking their language Hebrew to themselves in the presence of Joseph, who, as far as they know, can't understand them, but he hears every word and they start saying to each other, you know what? This is happening to us because of what we did to our brother 20 years ago. This awakened conscience starts to kick in. Joseph hears that and he, he breaks down, he, he weeps with his back towards them. He doesn't show them his sadness, right? For some reason he holds a pose still. He compa- composes himself, he goes back to them and he says, Off you go. But secretly, he stashes all their money back into their bags with enough grain for them to live until they bring Benjamin back. Off they go. Halfway on their way back to Egypt, they discover all the money back in their bags. And they make a remarkable statement. They say, what is God doing to us? Once they find that money. First time in the whole story where these brothers mention the name God. Developing a God-consciousness, right? Just a side note, but we'll get back to that later. They keep going. They keep all the way back to Canaan, back to Jacob. They said, Jacob, Dad, here's the deal. We've got to bring Benjamin. Uh, that's the only way we're going to get grain. Thanks, Alf. Egypt's not a good place. There's a lot of humming and <laughs> stuff happening over there. Jacob says, um, no way. You're not taking Benjamin. You robbed me of one son. He doesn't trust Egypt, doesn't trust the brothers. He says, Benjamin's not going. But eventually the hunger pains set in. The famine's not going away. He's forced. He says, well, we're either going to die or I'm going to send Benjamin and trust that he'll come back. Back they go again to Egypt. With Benjamin, they get Simeon. They go with double the amount of money for Joseph, who they don't know it's Joseph. Again, we read, they bow down. Joseph does a strange thing. He invites them all to a massive party at his house where he lavishes a feast on them. They still don't know it's him, right? He sees Benjamin. Second time in these chapters, we read Joseph weeps. He cries, but in private, alone. Doesn't want him to see that it's him. Next morning, presumably, or after some time, he lets them have all the food they needed. Again, he instructs a servant of his, take all their money, put it back in their bags, and hide my silver cup, which is sort of this Egyptian thing. It's a prized possession, really, really valuable and precious. Hide my cup in the bag of the youngest one, Benjamin. Servant does it. They load up their donkeys... They move, and as soon as they get out of the city, (laughs) someone comes from the city and says, what is this wicked thing you have done? And they say, what do you mean? They say, you've stolen something very precious from my master. They say, (laughs) what are you talking about? Search our bags. If you find anything, we will all become your slaves. I don't know if the servant chuckled because he knows that they're framing them. Goes through the bags. Sure enough, the cup comes out of Benjamin's bag. They load their donkeys. They go back to Egypt. For the third time in the story we read, they fell prostrate and they bow down before Joseph. Okay. That's where I want to leave it for now. Here's my question for you. Why would Joseph go through all this trickery with his brothers? It really bothered me. I, I, I couldn't quite fathom why not on the first time when they go to him and he recognises them, if he's such a good bloke, as we've pointed out over the last two sermons, why not simply disclose to them that he is their brother? Say, brothers, I love you. Brothers, it's me. Brothers, bring dad. I can help you. I can save you. I forgive you. Why this tedious journeys of sending them back, calling for Benjamin, putting all this stuff back in their bags, framing him? It's odd, isn't it? It's even more odd, I think, if, as I've mentioned to you all throughout this um, this message or this sermon series, Joseph is, in the story, a type of Jesus. He represents Jesus to us. And I believe that these brothers coming to Joseph represents, in a big way, our coming to Jesus. Right? How we each and every single one of us, come to Jesus. Whether you have come to Jesus or not, we'll talk about that later. But if this is how Joseph treats them, then what does that teach us about how Jesus treats us? Does it teach us something? Is there a point to three chapters of this strange-seeming deception that Joseph puts these brothers through, why does he do it, is my question. I think it's very deliberate, and I think there is a massive lesson in there for us. Only one lesson, really. Today is only one point. Here's what it is. I think he wants to see if they have come to acknowledge and understand the size of their guilt. He knows the truth. He knows they're guilty for what they've done in the past. He knows where their brother is. He knows where their father is. He doesn't have to ask any of these questions for his own sake. No, no. I think he is bringing them face-to-face, confronted with their own guilt. This stuff that they have done wrong, right? Here's what Judah says. Simon, can I get some slides up the next one? Yeah, that's thanks, Simon. (laughs) To make them realize their guilt. When Judah goes back, when they all go back and they fall in front of Joseph after the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, here's what Judah says. What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? And then he says a singularly remarkable thing. He says, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. What guilt is he talking about? He's not talking about the cup or the silver because they're innocent in that. Why is he even talking about God? What does God have to do with it? It's this guy in Egypt that has put them through all this stuff. You know what I suggest to you? I think deep inside of Judah, deep inside of these brothers, God has been working on uncovering a very deep, deep seeded, Sense of guilt. We are guilty. It's catching up with them. It is grinding them. It is overburdening them. And at this point, I put it to you in a good way. In a good way. Right? I believe in a somewhat frightening way, church, that Jesus does this with us. He uncovers, in the process of us coming to the point of blessing, coming to the point of experiencing the loving Father, arms and welcome of God, in the process of being blessed, there is an uncovering, of our guilt. What guilt, you say? I'm not guilty. In fact, you live in a world that says at every turn, convince yourself that you are not guilty, that you have done nothing wrong, that there is nothing wrong with you. You are fundamentally a good person. How dare you say that I am guilty? What guilt, you may say? And you particularly might say that if you're, you're new to church, if you're new to God, all this stuff, you know, maybe you have hang-ups over this from your past, uh, having grown up in a religious environment where that was the the main thing that was championed, to always make you feel guilty, (laughs) and have you remain in a mindset of of someone who is guilty, there'd be lots of reasons why you may have lots of hang-ups with this teaching or with this truth, I, I recognize that. I do, and I'm going to work with it a bit further. At this point, can I just put it to you that the biblical teaching is that every human being, there is not one righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is not a single one of us who deserve the loving embrace of of our Father God on our own we are guilty how why I want to just hover on this for a little bit I want to play a video for you so if I can ask the guys in the back this is just on the question of I'm a good person I'm a decent person how how can I be guilty how does that why do I need forgiveness All right, so let's look at this, and then I'll talk again. Thanks, guys.
1: I recently spoke to a woman on a flight, and at one point she said, I believe human nature is entirely good. And so I said, how do you think the world is doing? She said, oh, the world's a mess. It's falling apart. I said, okay, so help me out here. How can the world be a mess if people are only good? on the outside we might put on a good show but if we look closely at what's going on inside our hearts it's a lot messier than we'd like to admit so what does jesus say well first jesus lived in a way that demonstrated compassion with the most marginalized he showed equal respect for men and women but he also said things like sexual immorality theft greed envy slander all those evils he said come from inside and defile a person. However well we try to hide it, somewhere on the inside we all have a problem with sin. One of the problems is we have a God complex. We keep getting ourselves and God mixed up. We try to run the show and we choose things other than God to give our lives meaning and identity and purpose. And it never works because only God is big enough to build our lives upon. Only God can give us our true identity and a love that never leaves us. Here's the good news. Jesus came to earth because of our sin, because of our refusal to let God be God. But God never stopped loving us. He sent his son Jesus to rescue us. So to return to the person's question, why would a decent person need forgiveness? Because no one is as good as we might think. We have all tried to be God rather than worship God. We all need forgiveness and a fresh start. And Jesus came to offer us forgiveness for our sins and to offer us through his spirit a new identity, new heart, and new hope to live a new life. Oh, my friends, what an offer.
0: Thanks, guys. Let me move on. Can I ask some of your questions after you, Ed? Why is it important that we know this about ourselves? Why is it important that, that Jesus takes me through this process? Why is it important that I have to face uncomfortable things about myself that I need forgiveness, that I am actually fundamentally a person who stands guilty before a holy, perfect and moral God. (laughs) Why preach it? Why say it? Well, it's not only because it's true. There's a better reason than that. Let's go back to Joseph and his brothers. (laughs) Why did Joseph do all this? Why is it so important that Joseph takes these brothers through this whole process of, 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 of in their own eyes uncovering their guilt to see themselves accurately for who they are. Why is, it, why is it critical that there's three chapters in this story devoted to just that? Here's why. Can we go to the next one? Joseph takes them through all this to make them realize their guilt by which they can be made new. (laughs) I'll say that again. Joseph takes them through this process to make them realize and understand their own guilt by which they can be made new. How do we see that in this story? I'll take you through it. This is the best part, I personally reckon, of the entire Joseph story. What happens here in the end when these... Brothers go back to Egypt, right? And where they fall prostrate before Joseph. And there, where I stop. The next bit that we read is 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 up there on the screen. It's a bit longer, but I'm going to just do that little bit to take you straight to the point. Judah, <laughs> Judah, you were here a few weeks ago. You know who I'm talking about, right? And you will now understand why Genesis chapter 38 and the whole Judah and Tamar story and all its goriness and disgust is part of the story. Judah, that guy goes up to Joseph. He's prostrate, he's on his knees and he says this. He says, Joseph, please, let me, your servant, remain here as your slave in place of this boy, Benjamin. How can I go back to my father again if this boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Do you know what Judah's saying? He's saying, I can't be like that anymore. I'm done. I'm done with that person. I'm done being the person who is selfish. I'm done being the person for whom it's always only about me. I'm done with trying to deny my responsibility, my failures, my faults. My guilt has done its work in me. This time, I want to be new. I want to be different. I'll stay here. I will give my life for this boy and I will love my father even though he doesn't deserve to be loved anymore, because he hasn't changed. He still shows favoritism. What a, what a thing that this man would be the one to stand here 20 years later and say, I want to be new. My guilt has moved me to become new. That is a powerful thing, people. It is enormously, enormously <laughs> powerful. And I want to put it to you this morning, church, that Jesus seeks to do the same with you and with me. Why your guilt, and I'm talking here about a grace given, godly guilt. Why? Simon, can I get that next slide, please? Here are two things that God says about grace given guilt. In the New Testament godly sorrow that is good guilt that is the type of guilt that Judah and his brothers have felt godly sorrow brings what repentance repentance means change repentance means saying I am done with that I want something new something better that's what godly guilt and sorrow brings change that leads to salvation and leaves no regret change that leads to God saying yes come you're mine. We're, we're together. The New Testament promises in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ through repentance, through godly sorrow, the new creation has come. The old is gone. Through this process of godly guilt becomes a new creation. That Judah on his knees in front of Joseph is a new creation. He's not the same person. He's a new dude, entirely transformed, renewed, recreated. So are you. If you are in Jesus, if godly grief and guilt has done its thing in you, this is the path, people. This is how we get to that point of utter blessedness that the gospel promises and hope, the hope that it puts out. So let me ask two questions then. Some of you here, have not yet, for whatever reason, gone this way, to take the knee before Jesus and to say, Yes, Lord, I I get it. I am guilty. I don't know why, there can be lots of reasons for that, but for whatever reason, perhaps perhaps you're still you're still in the story where where the brothers were on their way back to Jacob the first time and they start saying what is this that God is doing to us? They're uncomfortable. They know that God is working in them. They don't know what it is but they can't shake the certain sense that something's not right with me. Something is wrong. Something needs to come out. Something needs to be dealt with and it's uncomfortable and we're scared of it and in our worldly human nature we resist it and we say, I don't want to go there because I'm not guilty, right? And yet, with the grace of God, they go back to Egypt. He falls in front of Joseph and he says, God has uncovered my guilt. Friend, if that is you this morning, please can I urge going to ask you is is today the day is this week the week where you say nah, enough I'll go there (laughs) God may uncover my guilt we romanticise the process of coming to Jesus we often romanticise it to be more honest with you it's pretty bloody and gutsy and teary and yet life saving and healing and future changing come just as I am, come. Bring your guilt, bring your brokenness. Do not resist and do not hold back. I appeal to you, I plead with you. Uh, By yourself today, after this service, speak to me, do what you need to do, but let godly grief do its thing in you. Let it bring you to Jesus, right? Okay, I'm almost going to wrap up. There's a second group of people who I need to talk to. There are some of you today here who are feeling guilty and you should not. You should not. The guilt I have spoken of to this point is a good, godly grief. It is a grace-given guilt. You feel guilty because you should, but that guilt is given to bring you to Jesus, right? There are some of you who wrestle with guilt in your lives and it is not a good guilt. It is not a grace-given guilt. It's not a God-given guilt. And it is a guilt that is not going to bring you to Jesus. It's going to take you away from Jesus. You have come already to Jesus. He has welcomed you. He has filled you. You know it. You believe it. And yet, that guilt is there. The story of Joseph speaks to you as well. I'm going to fast forward to the end, chapter 50. Chapter 50, verse 15. This is a time Jacob has died. Dad is dead, right? He's not in the picture anymore. And listen to this. It's, It's strikingly beautiful. the God of your father. Bearing in mind, reconciliation has taken place in Genesis chapter 45. We're going to deal with that next time. There's there's reconciliation that's still to follow. I'll give you a spoiler. When Judah hits the knee here and he offers his life instead of Benjamin's, it's the third time that Joseph is going to cry and this time the floodgates break. And he says, it's me, it is Joseph, your brother and I see you and I understand and I can clearly identify that you are here with a broken and a contrite heart and he takes them and he, he embraces them and full reconciliation takes place just like between us and Jesus from that point on, between us and God. Full, full reconciliation. Joseph, I mean Jacob comes to Egypt, the whole family is together, the blessing ensues. Okay, So, so just, sorry I'm tripping you up a bit, I watched the movie last night at, goes back and forward and I thought, that's stupid, they make me confused. and Now I'm doing the exact same thing to you. So, sorry, that's happened, just bear that in mind. This is at the end of Genesis, the whole Joseph story. Please forgive the sins of your servants, the God of your father, when the message came to him. When they come to him and say, please forgive us again. What did Joseph do? He wept. He wept. His brothers came to and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to him, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to Joseph. Them, How many of you are like these brothers who have received the full and free reconciliation between yourself and God? And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Your guilt is gone. You are new. You are mine. And I am yours. And for some reason, like these brothers, long after the fact, the guilt is still there. And we come again and say, Jesus, just checking, is it okay? Are we still okay? I'm so sorry. I, 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 I'm not against humility and conviction, but I am saying there is a place where that guilt will not lead you closer to Jesus. You need to hear a different message today, a reassuring message, that Jesus, like Joseph, is speaking to you kindly. Don't be afraid. It is good between you and Jesus you place yourself on that scale. Is the guilt you have a good, godly, grace-given guilt meant to lead you to Jesus? Or is this a bad, Satan-inspired guilt that is not from Jesus? It's not going to bring you closer. It's going to take you further away. And I pray that the Spirit may guide you, may help you, may lead you to grapple that out in your relationship with God and in coming to Him as these brothers come to Joseph. And so let me finish with this. Is this a happy ending? It is beyond a happy ending. Joseph is blessed. He has a future. He's well in Egypt. Bread will be provided, the famine, the hunger, physically. They're not going to die. Happy ending. For us... The greatest part of this story, even though I'm not focusing on that today, but I'll mention it, because they are saved, Jesus will come, which means we can have this conversation today, right? But for today, the thing I want to lift out to you is why is this a happy ending? Because in the process of all of that, these people are transformed. They're renewed so great is God that he says I will take what's broken I will take what is guilty I will take what does not deserve grace and beauty and blessing and I will transform it and the point that we are to get out of this entire story of Joseph is this we are to look at all that and go God is great he's incredible Great are your works and your glory and your splendour. No one can fathom. Let's pray. Father, you really are good and you are... We are not. (laughs) We think we are and we're not always as bad as we could be. But we know that you're the only one who is truly good. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you did not give up on us. Thank you that we could come, that we can come, even this very morning. And I pray, Father, for those here at home who might be listening to a recording later on. Lord, if there is an uncomfortable grief in their lives sent by you, I pray that that grief will do its thing as a good grief, a good guilt. That it bring them to Jesus. The place where that guilt can be taken away and they be made new. And Father, for those here or anywhere wrestling with a guilt that is not from you, I pray that you would speak kindly, clearly, kind words of affirmation that it is done. No guilt in life. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Music team.